The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. What principles does the GOP stand for? Joe Scarborough's 9-11 article. Troubling news from Russia. And John Kerry undermines the Trump administration. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is a show exclusive to the Blaze where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. Wow, what a week. What a week and what a week of outrage. I want to take you on a journey today and I want to start at the beginning of the week. You know, if you watch the the mainstream media, or you you watch Twitter and you you see what's trending. You know, Twitter's. I like Twitter for one reason: the it tells you what people are talking about. If you believe the algorithm, you see what's you know on people's minds. And on Monday morning, all I saw was loads of tweets and loads of comments and loads of support and loads of anger and hate and outrage towards Ben Sass. Because Ben Sass said something last week, and truth be told, before I get into what he said, I don't know enough about Ben Sass to comment. I really have ignored your politics. I, I find it boring, uh, crazy, and anybody who is decent, I've learned the hard way over years and years and years of actually been involved in your politics and following it, that it's easy to talk a good game. When it comes to actually doing stuff, that's when... Uh, so I don't know much about Ben Sass. So I'm just going to judge what he said at the weekend and talk about the reaction to it and talk about the principles of what he said. Ben Sass had the audacity, according to some, at the weekend to, to tweet and then also go on to CNN's State of the Union with Jake Tapper and say, you know, I probably think about leaving the Republican Party, you know, every morning. I, you know, when I'm getting up every Monday to go to D.C. and leave Nebraska, I kind of think about why am I in these parties. So let's take that as a principle for a minute. Is there anyone within the sound of my voice who disagrees with that as a principle? Are, is there anyone who thinks that the, the GOP or the Democratic Party are anything good? Let's take it, the Democratic Party. What does it truly stand for? Now, I want to say the party. I want to make it very clear. When I say I'm talking about the party, I'm not talking about Democrats because they all come in, in different shapes and sizes and different sets of beliefs. But the party. You're seeing the party right now go through a major change where they're ripping their masks off and being like, yeah, you know what? We're, we're Democratic Socialists. They're ripping it off. They're talking about more and more government. They're talking about repealing the Second Amendment. What's the Republican Party stand for? What does the Republican Party truly stand for? Can you tell me anything that they stand for? 
I said last week, I asked you a question. What issue are you willing to die for? What issue is eternal to the Republican Party? I found it very interesting and, and also very troubling that when Ben Sass said these comments last week, a lot of Republicans were not happy with him. And I'm guessing a large chunk of the Republicans who are not happy with him were also Donald Trump supporters. How is what Ben Sass said fundamentally different? You know, I'm thinking, I don't like, you know, I think about leaving both parties. Different to the message that got Donald Trump elected in 2016 of drain the swamp. Is there anyone here who, forget who you voted for, I don't care. Is there anyone here who goes, you know what? I really like Paul Ryan as Speaker of the House. Is there anyone who says, I really like Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House? Is there anyone here who says, I like Mitch McConnell as the leader of the Senate, or Chuck Schumer as the leader of the Senate? Is there anyone who thinks they do a good job? America and the world is going through major changes. And if it's not rooted in principle, the future is very, very dark. I don't think it's going to happen. I actually am very optimistic about the future. I'm optimistic because I actually think enough people, the pendulum, quote-unquote, is going to swing and it's going to come back around and freedom is going to be really cool again. I can see enough people starting to ask questions. You know, there are many reasons I love your nation, and the more and more I live in this crazy world, the more and more I respect and revere your founders. Because if you actually listen to what Ben Sass said in the interview, he basically said that the the Democrats are just anti-Trump. That's their whole position. And the Republicans' position is they're anti-CNN, they're anti-media, and they're anti-Democrat. Would you? How is that wrong? How would? Where is the disagreement in that? I've said this many times, but your Declaration of Independence is so critical. It's so fundamentally what makes is the first step of what makes America exceptional. Because I, I've always said this to you as an example: anyone can tell you what they don't like. Anyone, a dog can tell you what it doesn't like. A few minutes ago, before I started recording the show, someone knocked on my door. My dog didn't like it. My dog went crazy. It was barking. Doesn't like people knocking on the door. A two-year-old baby, a two-month-old baby, will cry until it gets it gets fed or gets changes his nappy. It'll tell you, I'm not happy. You go out into any street, any place in the world, regardless of where they come from, what background they have, what education they have, and they go, tell me something you don't like, anyone will tell you. Tell me something you're against. Anyone will tell you an answer. You go into mainstream America right now. I I don't like CNN. I don't like Donald Trump. I don't like the GOP. I don't like Brett Kavanaugh. That might be a popular answer this week because the guy's been on the news quite a lot recently. But your founders are so incredible. If you read the layout of the Declaration of Independence, before they tell you, hey, look, we have all these issues with the king, but before we get there, before I get to these issues against the king, let me tell you what I'm for. When was the last time someone actually stood up and said, this is what I'm for? 
These are a set of principles, and they don't change. When was the last time that actually happened? That they were rooted in principles. I know people stand up at certain times and say, well, we're for certain policies, or we're, we're for certain bills, but when was the last time people set up and stood up and told you what they were for? How often do you hear that? And this is not a political thing. This is just a lifestyle thing. What are people rooting for? You look around at social media today. And not, let's not focus in on Democrats. Let's focus in on the right, quote-unquote. How many times are people hoping others fail? That they dislike something? How many people actually go, you know what, I disagree with that, but I hope they see the light? You know, I really am changing inside, and I don't know how, but I'm not willing to get involved, and this is what I'm against. We need to start telling people what we are for, because there's a great opportunity, and I'll talk to you about that later on in the show. But fast forward on to, to Tuesday. So all the, the Ben Sass comments and all the, the commentary went... And then it gets to Tuesday. And it's September 11th. And that day doesn't get any easier. It was Tuesday, September 11th. And as I was reflecting on the day and just reflecting on how much the world has changed, some for the better, some for the worst... You know, one of the things that struck me was, as I was remembering, trying to remember that day as as much as I could. And I was trying to remember it in, in a modern day context. And I one of the things I focused on and was one of the things I couldn't remember, how I actually got through the journey. So on September 11, 2001, I can tell you exactly where I was because everyone can. I was working for a company called Irish Life. It was a financial company. And right beside the offices of where I worked, there was a mall. And back then, we got emails. That's how you had in, you communicated with people. And I remember getting this email of this... Because with the, the company I worked with, they used to have all... If you're young, you mightn't get this. But we used to have chain mail. You know, people would send a joke... And that was very funny. And then you'd send it to all your contacts and work. And this is what, how you'd send stuff before you had Facebook and Twitter. But I remember seeing this email come across. And it was a video of just the plane hitting the towers. It was like what a modern day meme. And I just remember that as one sick, twisted joke. thought it was a joke, honestly. And then as certain things happened, it became clear it actually wasn't a joke. Because loads of people were getting it. And I'll never forget because I actually... There was chaos in the office because we worked in the financial center, obviously, the, you know, the Twin Towers. And I ran into the mall right beside us. And because that's where we used to get lunch and stuff. And I walked it, ran into this mall and there was an electronic shop with big TVs in the, in the windows. And there was this big crowd of people out in front of it just looked shocked, white faces, just in, couldn't believe what they were seeing. And as I ran in, the first tower fell. 
And the one thing I was trying to remember all week was just to show you how much our life was changed. Was I stood there. And then we were trying to get all the news and watch the same news cycle, eight, eight, ten minutes, repeat, 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 and just be an absolute utter shock. And then we would go into the office and then some other people would come out and watch and then they'd come back and we'd go out and we'd get all this information. But I had to get a bus home that night. To get a bus home that was probably about 40 or 50 minutes long. I was trying to think, how did I get, how did I manage to get a bus home not knowing what was happening? You know, today we're so incessant with our phone that, you know, you have social media on your phone. You know, you could be getting the updates as if, you know, if something else happened. If somebody said something. If the president had spoken. How did I get home? And I was thinking back on, on that day. And trying to remember all how, how much the world has changed. Listening to people like Glenn and people like Ben Shapiro raise a great point. That, you know, people who are voting now for the first time don't remember America not at war. They're not familiar with an America where you don't have the TSA. They're not familiar with an America where you're not at each other's throats the way you are today. In many ways, people today are not really familiar with the America that I fell in love with. The America, the country that I fell in love with as an impressionable young boy visiting Clearwater, Florida for the first time. How many people today can say when they look back on America that people today are optimistic? You know, one of the things I always remember about the American people and I still get when I get over there, but is the optimism, the always the looking forward, the, the, the striving to be better. You know, always looking that bit ahead into the future. Always working toward something. How many people actually portray that online, actually live those, that optimi- optimism? And then as I got home from work on Tuesday, I'm thinking this through all the day, I'm out in the car and I'm just trying to trying to just think about how much the world has changed. And I got home and I start looking on the news. And it's become popular in your culture today through your politics and through your media to use events to make political points. And 9-11 has become no different. 9-11 used to be sacred. used to be hallowed. Now, 9-11 is just another event. 9-11 is just another day in your history. 9-11 is just... Just another day. Joe Scarborough had to decide, you know what, I'm going to get in on this. and I'm going to get in on this and make a political point on 9-11. 9-11... There are two stories from 9-11. 9-11, the horror story. The horrific loss of life. Bringing a great nation to its knees. To its knees. 
I still remember the emotions vividly of that day. But the second story is 912, where a nation was down flat on its face on the canvas, battered, bloodied, but got back up better. The story where you get back up better. And you say, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to lie. You knocked me down. But I'm not done. I'm going to get back up. The story of 9-12. That idea of... I'm, I'm an American. Not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm an American. I'm not black or white. I'm an American. In America, while we may disagree over policies... And we may disagree over how we who we vote for. But when it comes to time, America comes together as Americans. And you're proud of your country. You're proud of all the things you've achieved. That optimism. You might disagree on, you know, spending and budgets. But you are a fundamentally proud people because you have helped change the world and change it for the better. This is not a Republican thing or a Donald Trump thing. This is an American thing. One of the things I loved about 9-12 was how stores ran out of sales because they sold so many American flags. It became cool and hip again to have the flag outside the house. Didn't matter where you came from or what background you came from or who you voted for, you're an American. You display the flag. There's that pride, that power. Because that flag represents something that is so critical. 912 was a great day. You've had many great days since that, but sadly, it takes a tragedy to bring you all back together. Which is truly sad. You saw it last year in Houston. Where that horrific hurricane just like dumped so much rain in Houston. i never forget the pictures because I was in Texas this time last year. I was in America and I was speaking to her this time last year. I remember been down there and seen some of the pictures and it was just incredible. Some of the pictures I saw honestly thought they were photoshopped. But it brought the community together. I heard so many great stories. I met so many great people who were volunteering down there. Just literally having not much money themselves but literally putting oil and gas into drums and driving down there to to help people. You know, getting combis, loads of water together to help their brothers and sisters because they it wasn't a republican thing or a democrat thing or a black or white thing it was an american thing you came together as a country you healed these are the stories from 9-11 and 9-12 these are the stories that how many people today truly get them how many times has the young people been told this story both sides of it, not just one or the other, but both sides of it. 
Because you cannot tell the story of 9-12 without 9-11. You cannot... 9-11 makes 9-12 what a great day it was. Because you were knocked to your knees. You were face down in the canvas. But you got back up. When we come back after this break, I'm going to tell you the story, the message that Joe Scarborough decided it was fitting to release on 9-11. And it has nothing to do with what I just spoke about. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. Bill O'Reilly on the Glenn Beck Program. Bill O'Reilly is here now to tell us uh, how Donald Trump should handle the uh, Woodward book. Trump supporters, they don't care about the book. There's not one of them going to buy it, right? The people who hate Trump, they already know that they hate him. So a few people in D.C. will buy the book. It'll get some publicity. It's going to be a big book. It won't be a... I think it's going to sell out well in the long run. I don't think it's going to have legs. I really don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm usually not, as you know. Okay. (laughs) Bill O'Reilly on the Glenn Beck Program. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm on social media at Twitter at Freedom Disciple, Facebook at Jonathan Dunn58. Send me a message, tell me where you agree with me, disagree with me. Um, I really appreciate your support. We're growing each week on week, and I can't do this without you. So, thank you from the bottom of my heart. So, 9 11. The story of 9-11 and Joe Scarborough decides, you know what, it's 9-11, it's 17 years after that horrific, horrific day. I think now's a good time to release a column with the the Washington Post. The title of it is, Trump is harming the dream of America more than any foreign adversary ever could. I'm not going to read you the article, if you want to go read it, he talks about JFK and the night before, who could have thought, how the world changed um he talks about 2000 september 11 and 2001 and he talks about how america's changed but there's a couple of points i want to bring up in the article and they're about principles it fin- he finishes off the article osama bin laden was killed by seal team 6 but before he accomplished Before he accomplished that goal, other tyrants who've tried to do the same were consigned to the ash heap of history. The question for voters this fall is whether their country will move beyond their troubled chapter in history or whether they will continue supporting a politician who has done more to damage the dream than any foreign adversary ever could. That's the way he finished his article. Now what I find very rich about this is anyone anyone can say anything. Words are the easiest thing in this world. Anyone can say they're going to do anything. I'm going to be a better person. Okay, that's great. Wonderful. Now the proof's in the pudding. Go do it. I'm going to go lose weight. Great. Go do it. It's not... You don't get any credit for saying things. I'm going to go to church once a week. I'm going to you know, mow my, my, my neighbor's lawn once a week. Okay, great. Wonderful. Start doing it. Proof is in the pudding. 
what I find very rich about this is you, Mr. Scarborough, got a big ratings boost by plugging Donald Trump at every opportunity during the primary. There was times where you were feeding him softball questions where you wouldn't go true stuff. I'm not saying this is not anti-Trump, but I'm just this is anti-Joe Scarborough. So when it comes to primary season, you're like, ah, that's all cool. We're all buddy, 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 buddy. And then when it comes to him actually getting elected, you're all of a sudden outraged. You're all of a sudden, now you want to be a journalist. Because it's popular to do so. It was po- You got a ratings boost from being his friend, and now you get a ratings boost from writing an article about him on 9-11. That's the first point. The second point raised in it is I want to go back to what we were speaking about with the Republican and the Democrats. Because one of the frustrating things for me is how we all play musical chairs on issues. About how when Obama did something, the certain part of society was outraged. When Trump and the Republicans do it, there's silence. And vice versa. This is the problem when you make things about political politics. When you make things about man and not principles. Let me give you one issue. And let me ask you a very blunt question. And you may know, there may be someone you can point to. I don't know, because again, I'm not involved in your politics. So maybe if there is, tweet them to me at Freedom Disciple. Name the one person who's been consistent on your debt. Because in this article, Joe Scarborough highlights the debt and highlights how, you know, Donald Trump's government... Again, if you understand the Constitution, it's not Donald Trump's government. Spending is with the House. Taxation is with the House if you want to be a constitutional republic. How America's debt has exploded. And how endless, one of the lines is, 17 years later, endless wars abroad and reckless policy at home have produced annual deficits approaching $1 trillion. President's Trump Republican Party will create more debt in one year than was generated in the first 200 years of America's existence. Who's consistent on debt? Who is truly consistent on debt? In, I would say even include the media in this. Because when Obama was making the debt, I remember this because I was around in your Tea Party days. I, I remember the days of when, you know, there were people like me and others, a lot more powerful and, you know, bigger audiences and bigger platforms, who were going, hey, you know what? America's debt at $9.6 trillion, which it was when Obama got into power, is a really bad thing. You know, I've shared this story on the air. I honestly thought where America would wake up to your debt is when the debt clock in New York City, yes, there used to be a debt clock in New York City that would hang, that would continually go up. I honestly thought when that comes down because you have to it hasn't got enough digits on it, someone somewhere would go, This is gonna be a big deal. The debt clock is coming down in New York City, out of Manhattan. Why? Because there's not enough digits to our debt. Hey, maybe we have a spending problem. I honestly thought that. Nope, not a damn thing. You just kept spending. Spending, 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 adding to the debt, adding to the debt. And the debt ballooned to $19 trillion under Obama. Obama added more in eight years. If you, if you want to follow that line, I would argue the House is where spending is supposed to be occupied. And the GOP deserves a lot of the blame for that because they controlled the House for six of eight years under Obama. But 
tomato, tomato. The debt exploded. It's now $21 trillion and growing. Anyone consistent about the debt? Those who were about the debt under Obama, are they about the debt today? Where, where's all the right-wing media talking about the debt? There are some, but in general, do you have it? Is debt all of a sudden a good thing? Is debt a good thing? Is, are we, is it just when, when it's our person in power? When it's our party in power? Or was debt always bad? Now, people are going to make this into an anti-Trump thing. This is not an anti-Trump rant. This is a question about the Republican Party. The Republican Party has made millions from advertising and from campaigning about the debt. What has changed? They now have the House, the Senate, and a president who will sign bills. You even have a president that, whether I don't know whether he's doing this directly or indirectly, or on purpose or not on purpose, that literally can tweet and control the news cycle. You can pass any bill you want, and what have you done? So remind me again why Ben Sass is so outrageous, so stupid for saying, you know what, there's not a day that goes by I don't think about leaving the Republican Party. I couldn't go join the Democrats, but there isn't a day that goes by. Why was that such a bad statement? Why? Let's focus on another issue. Because in this article, what I find so frustrating is, again, we play musical shares. He finishes up the article, he goes, As the New York Times Roger Crone wrote the month after Trump's election, America is an idea. Strip freedom and human rights and democracy and the rule of law from what the United States represents to the world, and America itself is gutted. So let's take this step by step. America is an idea. America is a country. It's a great, wonderful country. But it is an idea. It is a set of values and principles. Who can actually explain in the media, in politics, and in general, why America is an idea? What is that idea? Who truly spends time today speaking about it? Can you name them? I spent, again, I was party or tea party. That was been discussed under the tea party. Now the Republicans have the House, the Senate, and the White House where's those discussions I remember having long late discussions on tax policy with people full disclosure I'm a fair tax kind of guy I remember having major debates whether it was a fair tax or a flat tax and I used to always have the attitude look you know what this is a debate I'm, I'm willing to lose if oh shoot it's a flat tax oh gosh darn it you know that sucks obviously I'm still going to try and get a fair tax but you know, a flat tax, I'm okay with. Those are the conversations you all had in the Tea Party. And I know I wasn't alone because I was having conversations with lots of people about it, about different policy positions. When was the last time anyone talked about a flat tax or a fair tax? When was the last time one man in 2012, Herman Cain, ran a whole campaign? The reason he got so much attention? The 999 plan. What politician speaks about that today? whether they're running for House, Senate, or or the White House. America is an idea. Strip freedom away from it. 
Okay, let's talk about freedom then, shall we? Is America the freest country in the world? That's a conversation you can have. It's an interesting debate. But are you as free as you were 200 years ago? No. Remind me again who violated and pretty much single-handedly repealed the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution. Because, let me give you a hint, it wasn't the Democrats. It was the other party in power. Freedom? What freedom? And when was the last time you actually saw people talk about freedom? And under a constitutional system. When was the last time you heard this word mentioned by a media person or a politician? Federalism. There, again, there are a handful. You might hear this word from Glenn Beck. I'm sure you'll hear it from Mark Levin. There are a handful. But in the norm, how often do you hear the word federalism? How often do you hear the word states' rights? How often do you hear the word convention of states anymore? You know, the Convention of States was started in many by many different people and by many different actions, but one was by Mark Levin and the Liberty Amendments, and it got a lot of attention under Obama. When Do you see people with the same vigor now that Trump and the GOP have the House and the Senate? What principles are you for? Human rights and democracy. How many people do you know that can't actually explain why America is not a democracy? What principles are you for? Because let me be blunt. America really does have two choices. And they are very simple choices. You have two paths right in front of you right now. And they're labeled with different labels to different people. But they all boil down to a a couple of common terms. The two paths in front of you right now is the path that your founders took and the path that the rest of the world has took. You have a path that your founders took, which I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it to you. This is not a path where it's all going to be awesome and we're going to sing Kumbaya and we're all going to be have a happy time and you know we're going to follow the the route of the founders and everything's going to be great and awesome. There's going to be a lot of pain and sacrifice. In that route. There is going to be a lot of sacrifice. On that journey. There are going to be days on that journey. To get back to your founding father's vision. Where you're going to want to give up. And that is a good thing. Those feelings. Because that makes you question yourself. Of how much you really want to be free. If I may quote Thomas Paine. Days you want to give up are good because it distinguishes you between the summer soldier and the winter patriot. Are you a sunshine soldier? Anyone can fight when the battle is easy, when you're winning the battle. Everyone will come out of the woodwork when the hard work is done. But are you the the person who's there in the winter? When it's hard, when it requires sacrifice, when it requires pain. The journey to American prosperity, again, will involve sacrifice and it will involve pain. 
If you think, if you know anything about the law of economics and you think you can rack up $21 trillion in debt and get back to a sustainable financial model without pain and sacrifice, if anyone tells you that, they are lying or they are misinformed. It just doesn't work that way. That's like me saying to you, come into your house and go, look, I know you have, you know, you owe a hundred grand in student loans and car loans and, you know, personal loans and credit card debt, but you can totally live the life you're living right now and not have to cut anything. You wouldn't believe me. You'd go, there has to be cutbacks. There has to be. Also, when you see the violations to the Constitution, there is going to be pain and sacrifice winning those arguments. But are they worth it? That is the question you have to ask yourself. Because if you follow the vision of your founders where you start having these conversations, and yes, they are going to be tough, of principles, not about the Republican position, not about the Democratic position, not about the socialist position or the capitalist position, but about the right position, and you're willing to make those sacrifices, sacrifices that men and women throughout your history have made, Going back to the Declaration of Independence, when your founders signed that, that was their debt warrant. There seems to be this modern-day myth that all the founders, you know, signed the Declaration of Independence. They all went off to war. There was no blood. There was no sacrifice. That everyone made it, and y'all just found freedom, and everything just worked out. Read your history. There was a lot of pain and sacrifice in it. A lot of people who signed their debt warrant had really bad things happen to them. They had their land taken from them. They had their wives taken from them. They had their families abused and beaten. Those men and women risked everything. All the men and women then who went and fought in the Continental Army under George Washington, that was sacrifice. You know, if you go back and read some of the stories from your Revolutionary War, they didn't have shoes back then. And one of the reasons you won that war was because it was a horrifically cold winter. And some of the lakes froze. I don't want to get off on a side point on history. Go read about it. They had no shoes. Today people talk about sacrifice. Oh, he's an athlete and he sacrificed. No, you sacrificed it, Jack. Let me talk to you about people who sacrifice stuff. The America's founders sacrificed everything. And by the way, the people who sacrificed everything were the people in society who said they who could have got by and said, we'll just pay the extra taxes. They were the greedy capitalists, the bourgeoisie of the day. They were the men and women who could have went, you know what, let's just have an easy life. Let's just go along to get along. It's about sacrifice and there's going to be pain involved. But do you want us? Because if you can get through it and you can start getting about principles again, you have the success your founders will have and a hell of a lot more. Because let me ask you a question. Look at the left. Look at the, what the left are saying right now. Yeah, we're all about democratic socialism. They can't point to one country it's ever worked. They cannot describe 
if I could interview politicians and they would never come on my show and I don't want to talk about them because it would just make my head explode and your head explode. But can you explain to me what the difference between a Democrat and a Democratic Socialist is? No one can. Why is it that what you want, will you think will work, but Venezuela didn't? What is the problem with Venezuela? Because 10 years ago, you're all talking about how great it was, and now it's collapsing. People are literally starving in Venezuela. Do you care? You know, when I see people in the left and portray themselves as where we're all caring and compassionate, where's your compassion for Venezuela right now? Why isn't this a big news story? Why? Where's your caring compassion? Or do you just use them like a pawn, like you use every other issue? What do you stand for? I look at the parties today, and this is why I leave. I have no interest in your politics. Because people in D.C., some of them can talk a great game. And you listen to them, and you're kind of going, wow, I'm fired up, I really like this person. And then you start seeing what they do, and then all of a sudden, it doesn't tally. It's like Christians. There's great Christians out there who can talk a great game. You shall know them by their fruits. I bring this up because I actually want to talk to you very briefly about a policy proposal. I know there is actually some people actually proposing policies in D.C. right now. And sadly, this policy is not a good policy because DC never talks about policy but anytime it does talk about policies you can be sure as hell it's going to screw the American people there's a representative from Florida his name is Carlos Curbelo I don't know how you pronounce his name he's a Republican you know Republicans are always good right and we should never want to leave the party and we should all want to be part of the party well a Republican congressman thinks you know what be swelled you know what will solve America's problems right now that's right you guessed it. You got it in one. I know you said this first. Yeah, y'all need a carbon tax. They will pass a bill. They're going to introduce this bill in July, and if it passes, it will place a $24 per ton tax on carbon dioxide starting in 2020. Because you're not taxed enough already, you see. See what I did there? Tea Party taxed enough already? And the great thing about this is, because this this Republican is so progressive in his ways, each year after that, the tax would be increased by 2% annually on top of the rate of inflation. So there's no need to come back to the carbon tax. We'll just replace this, and then each year it'll go up automatically. You know, because everything else goes up automatically, right? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Do we play the game that, well, this is a Republican proposal, so we all, you know, we all get in step, we all get on the train, we all get on the bus, we all get behind our party, or you all get behind your party? I'm not a member of either, though I don't care to be. I'll finish up with this thought for you. There are many things America must do, and the world must do, if we are to confront real evil. But the first thing we must do is stop calling out the other side, because that is easy. You know, one of the things I've been told is I don't call out the left enough on my show. Why? What good will that do? There are very few people who listen to this show who are on the left. 
So I'm to talk to my friends who are on the right or more libertarian or, or, you know, more conservative or more Tea Party about calling it the left. What good does that do? If, if that's what you want, go. There's plenty of shows out there. I could do it on my sleep. I could list to you all day long why the Democratic Party sucks. What good will that do? Zero. But we live in this world where if you attack your own side or you call out your own side, I don't attack people. It's never personal with me. Even with Donald Trump, it was never personal. It was always about principles. If we don't start calling out our own side and being having honest conversations, we're done. Because anytime I say it negative about Donald Trump, and by the way, in case you think this has been an anti-Donald Trump run, it hasn't. Because in a few minutes, I'm going to talk to you about some of the things Donald Trump has done that are really, really good. But if we don't start questioning, anytime I question Donald Trump, it's, John, you need to get on the train. No, thanks. I'm good. Anytime I criticize the Republican Party, it's, shh, lesser two evils, John. Look, they're not ideal, but we can't have the Democrat. I'm sorry, it's either right or wrong. I got told a couple of weeks ago when I spoke about the Catholic Church, I was anti-Catholic. Unbelievable. Every time I talk about everything, I'm anti-something. We can go around and playing these games. How if you if I say something you don't like, I am automatically anti-something. And everyone else can play this game. Where does it get you? Where does it get you? The choice in front of you is do you follow your route of your founders and understand what route they took and why they took it, or do you follow the rest of the world? Because the rest of the world will tell you it's easy. The rest of the world will tell you, you just go sit down and worry about your life. I'm in government. I'll fix it for you. Just You just chill. Don't. It's, there's no pain. There's no sacrifice. I'm going to make the pain and sacrifice you. I'm going to go fight on your behalf in D.C. And I'm going to get things done. And it won't be rooted in principles. It will be rooted in anything but principles. It will be rooted in policies. And those policies will ch- change from time to time. And there will be nothing consistent about it. Because if I say in 2018, the sky is red, and then in 2024 I say the sky is green, well, guess what? If you all vote for me, that's what happens. There is no truth. There are no principles. It's all about what I say because it's all about what's popular, what's acceptable. Your founders were the only set of people that had any type of government power and said these truths are eternal. These, your founders were willing to sacrifice everything. And even after they sacrificed everything and won the war and beat the Hessians, it was still a rocky road after that. There was a lot of pain and sacrifice. George Washington was called to the convention because it was days from collapse. But your founders came together. They had major disagreements on major issues. People were ostracized in the in the convention. People like Alexander Hamilton, who dare propose you have a king. People went, no, we fought against a revolution against that. But you all had major issues and discussions. And you came out 
with the Declaration of Independence. Then at the convention, you came out with the, the Constitution, and then four years later, the Bill of Rights. They were not plain sailing. The choice that you have in your own life, in everything you do, and then as a community, as a family, as a church, as a state, as a country, all revolve around two choices. Two choices. Do you follow the path of your founders, or do you follow the rest of the world? Do you follow the path that says, yes, there will be pain, yes, there will be sacrifice, but it will be worth it. Because we have a chance, an opportunity, at something truly great, at an opportunity for freedom. Or do you settle for the lesser of two evils and go, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you sacrifice, maybe. But you won't have to pain. You won't have to sacrifice. You just, just go about your life. You just go sit down there and just, you know, be, just, just ignore what we're doing. We, we'll sort it all out for you. If you want the second path, you might succeed you may not that's a hit that's a lucky dip this show is not for you if that's the path you want but if you want the path of highlighting everything you are for and about why america is exceptional then i ask you to join me and share this with your family and friends over the next week two weeks six couple of months as we are going to start laying the case of exactly what we are for and they are not democratic principles they are not republican principles They are American principles. They are your founding principles. And they need to be shared once again because they are the roadmap to success. If you really want to win, quote-unquote, and you're willing to sacrifice for that win, these are the principles you must follow. And they don't start by you saying them. They start with you living them. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. So a tax plan that he signed, working on trade deals, whether you agree with them or not, messing with the tariffs and inspiring people one way or the other has nothing to do with the good economy nothing after two years zero effect on it but he controls the weather the morning blaze weekday morning six to nine eastern on the blaze radio network Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America As always, this show is available on every major platform that you can find a show on We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher, OmniFM, CastBox Search for Freedom's Disciple Please share it with your family and your friends New show is released every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern We're growing each and every week and I can't do it without you and from the bottom of my heart thank you and this is not about money for me i don't make any money from this show there's you may know there's no sponsors this show is this show is about making a sacrifice this this show is about doing what is right and that is why i do what i do this is not for personal monetary gain this is about making a stand for something 
that is really, really important. And my payment is not a cash amount of money. My payment is freedom. And that is worth more to me than any amount of money you could think of. So while America internally has been going through a lot of other BS this week, it seems to me that the sad thing watching your media and your culture is each and every week there seems to be a new competition of who can say the most dumb, stupidest thing. Whether it's outrage of Joe Scarborough writing that stupid article. Whether it's that some actress, I'm not, not, I'm not big in your culture. If you're a long-term listener, you know this. You know, going, well, where's John Wilkes Booth? Where do you need him? Really? This is, this is what is funny in today's society. You have all these debates that are absolutely meaningless. No one ever wants to talk about the debt. No one ever wants to talk about the size of government. No one ever wants to talk about the Constitution. No one wants to ever talk about the job losses. You know, of how technology, what impact AI is going to have on our life. No one wants to talk about cyber crimes. No one wants to talk about to you about the issues that actually happened this week and are happening and have major consequences for both America and the world. Some good, some bad. No one wants to talk about them. No one wants to have an honest conversation with them. So I actually want to do that with you. I want to talk to you about foreign policy. I want to give you an update because a lot of things are happening right now and some of them are really bad. Some of them are really scary because if what makes them scary to me is not who they are or what's involved, but what makes them scary to me is two things. One, ignorance and apathy. That something could actually happen in America right now and half of the people or a good chunk of the people on both sides of the aisle will be shocked. If you were looking, you shouldn't be. And secondly, what would happen if you were attacked tomorrow? Would you come together? Or would it be all Donald Trump's fault? Because apparently Donald Trump is is responsible for the hurricane that hit North Carolina this week. And South Carolina. Apparently that was all his fault. Would you all come together? What happened this week? Well, let's start with the really bad stuff. So, Russia. And I know some people are still on the fence about Russia. Are they good boy? Are they bad boy? Are they friends? Are they allies? Are they enemies? Just do your research. At this point, I... I don't know what else I can say to you to, to get you to a point where you say Russia is an, an enemy of the United States. Putin is not a good guy. I, I don't know. But this week, they kicked off what they said were the largest war games since the fall of the, the Soviet Union. This week, they had war games that they haven't held as big since 1981. 1981. And in case you're wondering, in case that timeline is sort of you know, familiar to you and you kind of know what happened in 1981. The reason they had the big war games in 1981 was Reagan was just elected. And it was seen as a sign of strength. It was, hey, okay, you got Reagan? Cool. We'll show our size of, of strength. This, what happened this week, was a lot bigger. What you saw this week, if you read some of the, the media and you watched this event was you saw 300,000 Russian troops, 
36,000 vehicles and 1,000 aircraft taking part in what they call the Vostok. This is really bad. What makes this bad is Russia is clearly getting ready or saying the signs you're ready for war. What makes this even more troubling was who they were joined by. They were joined by both China and Mongolia. And the Chinese Defense Ministry insisted um, it wasn't directed against any third party, but it would focus solely on defenses, firepower strikes, and counterattack. Everyone, this is a, a country which does tend to lie, so let's just bear that in mind. What you saw this week was Z, President Z of China, and Putin deepening their ties. Now there are, which we might get into in another show, this is really troubling because you've got two major superpowers siding up together. Who are, you know, getting in, getting in, you know, playing a bit of footsie with each other. Now, if people, and I'm not going to name names, but if people actually understand foreign policy and get to a point, they can, this footsie can be to the advantage of America. Because if you ever get into a conflict with America, both Z and Putin would want the debt shot. And they would fight each other for it. So, the one advantage America has is because it's hated so much by so many enemies, by so many big enemies, the same with Iran, is that you can, if you play the geopolitical front and you play the the military strategy just right, which, in fairness, of all the people, and I'm only going on what I've been told of military people who I talk to, there's few better, if any, than General Mattis. So, if this ever does come to fruition, you've got someone in there who will be fully aware of this and be very, very competent of what they're going to do. But you can play this with it, you know, against each other. You can play China and Russia against each other because you also got to remember there's geopolitical interest between the two countries where Russia ends and where those countries who used to be part of the Soviet bloc are and where China starts. You know, there's territory there, there's control. And they both want to be the quote-unquote leader of the, of the world, of the tyranny world, not the free world. So there is opportunities there. But from a military point of view, it's really troubling that they're getting into bed with each other. They're also increasing trade with each other. So the ties are deepening and deepening and deepening. How do you deal with this? People will tell you Again, to continue on what we said in the in the first part of this show, people will tell you the only way you get peace is through negotiations. And true, well, they'll never use this word, but their actions say, scream this word, appeasement. We just need to let them have friends, you know, let them, let them be acceptive, you know, let them just accept their relationship and just, you know, just play it safe and not, don't do it in stupid and just play along. Let's just accept them. Let's just, you know, say nothing. Let's just not endanger the homeland. There are plenty of people who'll say that. There'll be voices. There have been always voices, especially in America and especially in the media, who'll say, I'd much rather live on my knees than die on my feet. 
These are all all the old lines from the 1980s. I'd I'd much rather be red than dead. These are some of the old taglines. There will always be people in your society and in your culture and in your media who will go, no war at any cost. No matter what they do, no war. That it's not worth it. You know how they'll have the whole detente argument over and over again. And if you don't have principles and you don't have a backbone, you're lost. How do you argue against detente? But you look at the successes made from an America in a Cold War point of view through detente, and then you look at through Reagan. Who won? Is it even close? And why was that? Because whether you like him or not, Reagan had a set of principles. And he knew the bigger picture. The other troubling thing is there's a report on The Blaze this week, which I spoke to you about this, I can't remember if it was a week or two weeks ago, maybe it was even three, where I spoke to you about what's happening in in the UK, and how Russia and the UK are really, you know, getting at odds with each other, and there's a potential second Cold War, I think it was only last week. Well, on September 11th, on Tuesday, two US Air Force F-22 Raptor fighters intercepted two Russian bombers near Alaska. And it was the second time in less than two weeks. Now, just to be clear, the aircraft didn't enter US or Canadian space. Um, but it's not clear exactly how close to Alaska they got, to the West Coast. Um, the, the Washington Free Beacon actually did some, some reports on it. The Russian Tu-95 bombers are capable of carrying nuclear-tip KH-55 long-range cruise missiles, and they have a maximum range of 1,841 miles. So they could do a lot of damage. But that mission wasn't to do anything but just to prove a point. Russia's doing this at different times to the UK. Just let's fly near your airspace or in your airspace, and let's just see how quickly you react or what you do. Because this is all a game of chess to Putin. Putin is very good at chess. And he also has one thing on his side. Patience. He, he, he hopes to send people in. And I don't know exactly his motive. But you know, it wouldn't surprise me if his motive is just go in and make a massive nuisance of yourself. And hopefully they fire at you. And maybe put your plane down. And then it's an active war. And well, they started it. And then all of a sudden the UK are the bad people. Or America is the bad person. And you get the court of public opinion on your side. Especially if it's America and Trump. Can you imagine if Putin sent a a fighter jet in and it was shut down? Do you think they would side with Trump going, well, that was a great idea? Or do you think all of a sudden they'd be like, what, are you crazy? That is what's happening right now. Where have you heard that this week? Again, there are a few sources. But have you heard this many places this week? Which leads me to the Middle East, and two stories I want to talk to you about very briefly. One, kudos to Donald, actually three stories. Kudos to Donald Trump and his administration. First off, closing the the PLO offices in D.C. The PLO is the Palestinian Liberation Organization. And if you do a quick Google search on what they are, They are more than a national liberation movement striving to achieve the national goals of the Palestinian people. Um, They are an organization founded in 1964 with the purpose of liberating Palestine through armed struggle with much of its violence aimed at Israeli citizens. That is their goal. You know, anyone who wants to... I find it ironic watching the coverage of this because this is a great move. Kudos to Donald Trump. 
you know, of of all the things that Donald Trump should be known for, you know, in, in how history should write about him, he's arguably the most pro in actions Israeli president that you can find. He is, it's unbelievable. And the more the media give out about him, the more stiffer his spine gets on this issue. It's kudos. I, I never thought I would see any of this happen by any president. It should, it should be common sense. You know, we, if, we, if, if everything was common uh, sense based, a lot of people would be on the Israeli side of the issue. Even if you don't like Israel and you're like, hey, I'm not a big fan. But, you know, when it comes to general issues in Israel, there's two people in the Israeli-Palestine conflict. One says you have no right to exist. Neither says you have a right to exist and we'll make sacrifices. We'll give you territory. We've made numerous offers. And they also have the, the credibility on that front to say, we've done this in the past and been very successful with it, i.e. Egypt and Jordan. When it comes to Palestine, what are they willing to sacrifice? Nothing. What's their record of sacrifice? Nothing. So kudos to Donald Trump for shutting down the PLO. Second thing, and it's part of the Donald Trump administration, Nikki Haley. I would love to see this debate get even bigger, but she gave a speech over the last couple of days, or maybe it was a week ago, saying that when she first started, she gave a, a list of um, the foreign aid that the U.S. government gives to people and then looks at their votes in the U.N. and how they oppose them and if they're allies and friends. And she's like, these are people who, countries who shout debt to, Israel, or debt to America, why are you giving them aid? Kudos, well done. Now you've said it, now follow up on it. But I would also add, this should start a bigger discussion. To anyone, why is America giving aid? Is the aim for a country just to live off America, or is the aim financial independence? This needs to be a bigger discussion within the circles of power in America. What is the purpose of foreign aid? What can it possibly benefit and if you do give foreign aid to people for whatever reason, it must have a very clear goal with a stated mission and a timeline to stop. And yes, I include Israel in this. I include every country in this. You have to have a clear mission. In the financial independence is a good thing, I thought. But now on to the troubling story that came from this. So kudos to Donald Trump and his administration. Two very positive steps this week. And to those... Before I get to this more troubling story, to those who are like, well, you know, this, how this undermines, you know, this is double teak from Donald Trump and his administration. You talk about wanting peace in the Middle East and then you go ahead and do this move. You know, what I find ironic is how people talk out of both sides of their mouth. It's okay for you to be, well, we want peace, quote unquote, but we're all pro Palestine. You can have peace, but be on the side of justice. The PLO are not a good group. Hamas is not a good group. This idea that to get peace you have to accept people who are pure evil is not good. It's not based on anything solid, anything concrete. You can have peace in the Middle East. You can actually have peace in the Middle East tomorrow. And it will only take one thing. For the Palestinians in power to say, you, the Jews, they have a right to exist. 
If they would actually issue that statement, you would see major changes. You would see major fundamental change. And again, history is on the Israeli side here. They have done it twice before with two other countries. And I'm not talking about a thousand-year history or, you know, a two-thousand-year history. I'm talking about a 60- or 70-year history. They have done this twice, and they have been both very successful. Why couldn't it work with the Palestinians? Why what Israel did with Egypt and Jordan, why could it not work with the Palestinians? Because right now, Jordan and Egypt say, you know, the Jews and Israel, you have a right to exist. The Palestinians won't say that. You want peace? Stand for something. And never give up. And stand for peace at any cost. That the pain and the sacrifice are worth it. Which brings me on to a story which is... Honestly, I can't believe. It's a story that I'm going to share with you right when we get back. But it involves John Kerry. Don't go any America. We'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. On demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. Before we get to the last story of the day, I want to talk to you about. I just wanted to give one more personal thanks to you. The on our website, freedomsdisciple.com/store, we're selling great hoodies and great T-shirts with a very simple message: America making the impossible possible since 1776, and. Y'all have been ordering them for about two and a half weeks now, I think it is. Three weeks, maybe. And some of you have shared uh, the pictures on social media and sh- raising the awareness. And you've started to get your products. And the feedback I'm getting is great, which is makes me happy. Because I've said that I, I have the products. I You can see on my social media, I have the products. I really like them. I think they're good quality. And I love, I love hoodies. And I love the message. But y'all have been very complimentary and... I want to thank you for your support, and please keep on checking it out. You know, we're raising money for Mercury One and the Nazarene Fund. We have some more new designs coming out. I'm not sure of the date, but I would say we'll have new designs coming out on October 1st, and we're we're going to change how we do things. But the aim of this is not to make money for me. The aim of this is to is to share a positive message to share a message that needs to be shared, but also to do it through the free market, but also to do it through charity and to raise awareness and to raise funds for different charities. So we're going to be making some changes. We've got some new designs coming, so please keep checking it out. If you've got a, a birthday gift or a friend or, you know, be great for Christmas coming up, um, please just consider checking it out and sharing with your family and your friends. It's freedomsdisciple.com slash store. There's hoodies, there's T-shirts, there's coffee mugs, Great message, um, America making the impossible possible since 1776. So on to the last story that appeared, and this is a late-breaking story, and I'll be interested to see exactly how much news coverage this gets. But um, John Kerry, you know, Mr. Stiff himself, um, 
and the former Secretary of State, you know, the greatest Secretary of State since since Hillary Clinton, because she was the greatest Secretary of State of all time, decided it was a good idea to have an interview with Dana Perino on Fox News. And he basically refused to deny that he undermined President Trump when he met with Iranian leaders. So if you don't know the story about this, Donald Trump has pulled out of the Iranian agreement that Obama passed. And John Kerry met with him. And while Donald Trump hadn't actually physically pulled out of the agreement, it was widely known publicly he was going to do it. He had said so, and he was about to do it. I want to read out to you what was said. So Perino began by saying, Let me have you respond to this. There are people in the intelligence community who say that you've been telling the Iranians to wait out President Trump and the administration and to wait out until there's a Democratic president in 2021. Is that accurate? He responded by saying, I think everybody in the world is sitting around talking about waiting out President Trump. I mean, you've got our allies, remarkably the people we've worked with the closest throughout the years are sitting and saying, what's next? So she insisted, so the Europeans trying to wait out President Trump to keep the Iran deal in place. And he then responded by ripping Trump for his posture towards trade, NATO, and most specifically, um, the United Nations. Uh, I don't know, it's not a Iran deal specific with respect to trade, it's with respect to NATO, uh, with respect to most of our relationship to UN, the UN support, the kind of things that really make a difference overall to our position in the world. So here's a question, a couple of principles to bring up. I, there are many things I don't get about your politics. I just don't understand the logistics of them. I don't see why you have it. First one is, and I've raised this on the show about a month ago or two months ago. I don't get why people who used to work in the intelligence community who no longer are active have security clearance. I I believe in, you know what, if you're an active, there's certain things you need to see. And the administration and people will judge your, you know, your levels and there's this criteria of what type of security clearance you have and how much you can see and what you have access to. But when you're not in the administration, what do you, what's the purpose of that? That would seem like a potential violation of security, especially if you have very different opinions on certain issues. But what frustrates me is about Iran. And what frustrates me about this is what you're seeing in Europe is Europe is doing its best to prop up Iran. Because America pulled out of this deal. Iran, Europe is trying to cover America's costs and trying to help prop up the regime, which is violently unpopular in its own country. Like, if actually people wanted to believe in freedom, what was what was it Joe Scarborough said? The domestic, you know, freedom and human rights and democracy? Well, then you should be anti-Iran, because it's a theocracy. You know, the people are making their voices loud and clear in Iran. They're not happy. And instead of usually the usual chance of debt to America and debt to Israel, a protest recently was debt to the Ayatollah. That's what's happening. So first principle, why do you have security clearance? Second question for John Kerry. Why are you meeting with a foreign agent or a foreign government? You have no power. Sit down, shut up, and go back home. This idea that of titles and nobility and of just working out to make things better in your own mind, 
is incredibly troubling to me. Do your time. If you're called to serve and you agree to serve as, you know, Secretary of State or of Defense or, you know, of, of the Interior, whatever you do, go do your time. Do your service if you see it as a service and then you leave. But this idea that, you know, well, I was Secretary of State under President Obama, but now Obama's not around, it's now President Trump, but because I was Secretary of State, you know, I, I, can, I can still meet with world leaders and, and be an influence player, and I can potentially undermine the current administration. Really? Is that what you want? And by the way, in case people are going, well, obviously no, John Kerry, I would say the same about General Mattis. Um, under our Pompeo. If, if let's say, in 2020 or 2024, the Democrat wins, ever who they are, and they are president, I'd be like, the Republicans shouldn't be going undermining it either. The elections have consequences. This idea that you can just, you know, talk to people and say, well, wait out. Also, this great advice of just wait out Trump. Do you really think they needed you to tell you tell them that? Do you really think the Iranian people are going, oh, okay, well, you know, John Kerry, he came up with this great piece of advice. We couldn't think of this. We needed John Kerry to tell us this. Wait out the president, because they have elections every four years. Wow. Thank you, John Kerry, for being absolutely so astute in your political analysis. This is really troubling to me. Last week I did a show, I think, or the week before, I said, good and evil. This is not about the left and the right. What's frustrating to me is everything is about politics and about left's position and right's position. Iran should be really, really simple. If you're a Republican or a conservative and you believe in the Constitution and, you know, limited governments, or if you're a liberal, not a leftist, a liberal, and you believe in freedom and you believe in democracy, there is no reason you should be anywhere near to the fence of Iran. There is no... Well, you know, they're they're not that bad. There is none of that. They're really bad. They're really a tyrannical regime. They're a regime that is tyrannical, and it's under religion. They are the biggest state funder of terrorism in the Middle East. They routinely do things just to, to provoke a response from America. Do y'all remember a couple of years ago when they, 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 they did the mock-up boat that was just like a boat and then they bombed it? Blew it out of the water, just, hey, just to send you a message. But don't worry, that's not political. They are a really bad actor. And in fact, they're such a bad actor that some people, countries in the Middle East are going, we don't want anything to do with them. This idea that John Kerry can go and undermine is incredibly troubling. And then he has the gall to, to talk about, you know, what he won't deny it. And then he talks about trade and the United Nations. These are the stories that are really important. What are you going to focus on? We can focus on the outrage, or we can focus on these big stories and make them about principles. Because I want to finish up today's show by talking to you about an opportunity. And it's a big opportunity. The opportunity is this. Look at what the left are doing, again, left, not liberal. They're going crazy. 
Everything Trump, everything, every problem in the world right now is Donald Trump's fault. He's been in office for about 19 months, but everything is his fault. Do you think that resonates in the, the heartland? You know, the, the blue dog Democrat? Do you see the discourse? Do you think that resonates? You're seeing in the Democratic Party a hashtag walk away. What do you want to walk to? I don't want to make this about politics. Well, I'll just go to the GOP. That That's not my message. I'm not the person to give that message. I People are starting to question things. People are starting to question things. And now is the time, more than ever, to follow the path of your founders, but also the path of Martin Luther King. You know, there are many people in this world who have had bad things done to them and have had every opportunity to be bitter. You know, you look through the history of the world. Man's history is not a nice history. Man has the potential for unbridled greatness. You know, I look at some of the stories, which I, maybe I should share more here. I look at some of the stories where just the world has changed. You know, Apple unleashed a new product this week, the new iWatch. And one of the things it can do is it can take an EKG. It, a watch on your hand can tell you if you, how your heart is doing. Now, that's obviously incredibly frightening and there are downsides to it. But that potential is incredible. That some person, through innovation, through ideas, thought, you know what, hey, how about if we have a watch in a hand and that could check your, you know, if you're having a heart attack? That is the world we live in. There was never any limits in, in life, but we are living in a world right now where there truly are no limits. You look at some of the conversations we're going to have over the next 5, 10, 20 years. Watches with AKGs, self-driving cars. Going to the moon, where they have this system where they're going to make the world even safer because of, of to, from asteroids. These are some of the conversations we are going to start having. Look at how much technology has advanced in the last five years. Ten years, twenty years. You look at the companies like Netflix. Look at how much Amazon has grown. Amazon became the second company in US history to become a trillion dollar company. These are some of the changes we have made. And we don't really recognize them. We just we just all go in and, and just accept it. It just becomes a cultural norm. And we just go along with it. But our society has changed. And it can change, continue changing and change for the better. Because with advance, advances in internet and technology and, and cryptocurrencies, we can share ideas like never before with blockchain. There are no limits. There really is no limit to what we can do. Man has the potential for unbelievable greatness. If we can just get over man's flaws, or just reduce man's flaws, of always seeking to control other people, or always make things about what, focus on what makes us different, instead of what unites us. If we keep focusing in on, on the divisions of, well, you're a Republican, I'm Democrat, so I have to hate you. Or, you voted for Trump and I didn't. Yeah, I have to hate you. 
Or you're on the train and I'm not. We have to hate each other. Or you're black and I'm white, we have to hate each other. I'm gay and you're straight, we have to hate each other. I'm Christian, you're Jew, I have to hate each other. I'm Christian, we're Muslim, we're enemies. We can keep focusing on these petty, narrow arguments. Or we can focus on something bigger. We can focus on something bigger. The opportunity you have right now, the world has right now, is if you have a situation where the world is screaming out for principles, for right versus wrong. There is no one who knows anything about foreign policy that will tell you Iran's a good actor. But here's the frustrating thing for me. I'm recording this show late Thursday night, my time. I'm going to make a prediction. And when you're listening on Saturday and Sunday, you'll know if it's true. I bet you this story about John Kerry, or the story about Russia, won't get any media attention. And if it does, it's very little. It won't get 1% of the media attention and coverage that what happened with Serena Williams last weekend got. Which affects your life? What's going on in Iran and Russia and China? Or whether Serena Williams... Is it cheater or not? Yet where is all the focus? What will be the hashtag? What will be the, the Facebook campaigns? We have a major opportunity. And I'm going to keep telling you about it. If we make this about principles. Because what happens in society is, and you can always tell this, is people expand. It's like a rubber band. And people keep expanding it and expanding it and expanding it. And eventually what people do is they wake up and kind of go, what world do we live in? And if you can be a voice that's calm, that's reasoned, that's principled and says, here, here's your lifeboat. This is always solid. They're all telling you it's liquid, but this is solid. Grab onto it. And if you present that lifeboat, in a calm way and in a in a in a cool way and in a principled way, you can change the world. And you can start a new movement. A new movement where it's about principles, where it's about freedom. That is what I'm working on. That's what I'm gonna continue to work on. And maybe I ask you to join me on this journey. Because it's not about man's law, it's about principles. And it's about America and the world need now, need always need to know these principles. They always need to know why America is truly exceptional. But you need it now more than ever. Because as much as evil is growing, evil thinks it's got an opportunity right now. Because people are asleep, people are apathetic, and people don't want to make sacrifice. People are not ready for that. They want the easy answer. There are no easy answers, but we do have the answers. And it's that reason alone why this show finishes each and every way it does every week. By saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. They are men and women who make sacrifices. Who make sacrifices each and every day to make the world a better place. To make your world a better place. And we will always salute them, no matter how popular or unpopular it is. And lastly, by reminding you what makes America great. It's not Donald Trump. 
It's not Paul Ryan or the Democrats or the Republicans or anyone in D.C. It's not the lobbyists. It's not the media. It's each and every one of you. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.